Business owners are cluing into the fact that Bitcoin is here to stay, but its adoption is only about where internet adoption was in the mid-90s. In other words, there's still a ton of upside and opportunity. If you want to learn how other business owners and entrepreneurs are using Bitcoin to enrich their lives and grow their businesses so that you can too, stick around at the end of this episode to hear the trailer for my newest podcast, Business Bitcoinization. And now, on to today's episode. You're listening to the Life as Leadership podcast. Are you looking for motivation and encouragement on your path to becoming a better leader? If so, you've come to the right place. Keep listening to find a community of leaders committed to learning and taking action to improve their world. The Life as Leadership podcast, where leaders gather to grow together. Here's your host, Josh Friedemann. So usually on this podcast, we're hearing from entrepreneurs, CEOs, and other types of organizational leaders. But every once in a while, we've heard from younger leaders who are much earlier in their careers, and today is no different. We're going to hear from Emily Flippin, who works at an organization called The Motley Fool. Joining me in the studio this week are my friends and fellow leaders, Allie Rexford and Cody Coleman. So setting yourself apart from others is important, and we're going to be hearing about how Emily did that in today's interview. But to that end, what is a choice or a decision that you've made in your life that has set you apart from the crowd, at least in that moment? Cody, how about you? Yeah. Um, when I was graduating high school, getting ready to go to college, um, in my high school in particular, there was a community college down the road that everybody always goes to. It's like the tradition. It's like grade 13 everybody goes there. You know, everybody wants you there because everybody, you know, goes there. I decided not to do that. And okay. I went a little bit further down the road to a different community college. And I was the only one in my graduating class or any graduating class near me to go there. And it was a very unpopular thing. Everybody was like, why are you doing that? Yeah. And I was like, well, um, I'm trying to move on with my life. So, sure, you know, so it was, it was a good thing. It was good. And I enjoyed it. And looking back on it, what can you say came from that experience, not being around your high school classmates and things like that? Yeah, it really gave me an opportunity to figure out who I was without everybody I know being around me saying, this is who you are. So yeah. I really got to get away from that, go to a place where nobody knew who I was yeah. like at all. Yeah. Um, so I got to kind of figure out who I am, kind of figure out what direction I wanted to go. And I think it kind of shaped me now. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. How about you, Allie? In high school, there were a group of friends and I went out to Utah and we were boating and tubing at Sand Hollow Reservoir. And they, my friends decided to pull the boat over and go cliff jumping. And they very much wanted me to join them in cliff jump as well. But I decided not to because I was a little scared and just seemed like a predictable headline in the news. A group of high school girls goes cliff jumping and something goes wrong. Um, so despite them really wanting me to join, I decided to stay in the boat and play it play it safe. You weren't about that life? Nope. <laughs> no. And so that's actually a good point because today we're going to be hearing from Emily and she took a couple risks that really helped her to move forward a little more quickly in life. But the truth is you also have to manage risk in your own life. And so sometimes you have to know when to do something and when to, to put yourself out there and then when to say, hey, let's put on the brakes for just a second before we go too far forward too fast. Well, Emily Flippin is a young professional who works for an investing advisory company called The Motley Fool. She went to school in Shanghai, China, where she was part of the inaugural class at NYU Shanghai. 
While in school, she quickly learned that ethics and finance don't always go hand in hand. So in search for a career that would let her analyze equities without compromising her desire for transparency, she found an internship at The Motley Fool and never looked back. These days, Emily lends a hand on the stock advisor and rule breaker teams, using her international experiences to push investors to consider and invest in high growth international powerhouse companies. Here is Emily. Emily, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for having me. So for those who haven't heard of The Motley Fool, some of the things that I just read in your bio might not make much sense. So if you would introduce the listeners to The Motley Fool. First of all, what does it mean to be what you would call capital F foolish? And what are some of the things that you love about The Motley Fool? Well, The Motley Fool is a lot of different things, but Boring is definitely not one of them. Um, The name actually comes from a Shakespearean play in which the jester was referred to as a motley fool, uh, but was the only one who was able to speak truth to the king without getting his head lopped off. So the idea is that the motley fool is kind of doing the same thing, but with finance. We're teaching people the tools and the resources to invest and manage their own money in a fun and entertaining way without, you know, getting their head lopped off, right? So without making people immediately tune out. So that means that if you're a foolish investor, that's a capital F foolish investor. You're somebody who looks past, say, the noise on Wall Street and the naysayers who try to tell you that finance is maybe too complicated for you to do yourself. And you take your financial freedom into your own hands. So foolish investors, there are an entire range of investors. Uh, we have passive indexers to active stock pickers, everything in between. But I'd probably say the biggest defining characteristic and the thing I like the most about working at The Motley Fool is that all of our investors, they're long-term buy-and-hold investors who live by what's probably a really dated but true motto of you know, like, time in the market is better than timing the market. So I guess in addition to educating people about finance, The Motley Fool is just trying to help people invest their money in, in one form or another. So another thing that you mentioned is that you work on the stock advisor and rule breaker teams. What are those services and what does that mean for you? The the stock advisor and rule breakers are actually the first two stock picking services that the Motley Fool published. Our two co-founders, the brothers David and Tom Gardner, they work together and they pick stocks on Stock Advisor. Uh, so these are good, like well-run companies, uh, diversified companies with inspirational leadership that would make really great cornerstones for an investing portfolio. Uh, so I work directly with David on his side of Stock Advisor, which means that I research companies that he's personally interested in. But I also work with David on his second service, Rule Breakers, where I pitch and he picks high growth companies that kind of break the traditional rules of investing. So you're researching these companies that are eventually going to be chosen for other people to invest in. Does that feel like a really big responsibility? It's a huge responsibility, and it's not something that's lost on anybody at The Motley Fool. Ultimately, anybody who pays for and subscribes to our services is likely to buy these companies based off our recommendations. So, while ultimately, for both of those services, David does get the final say, the responsibility of the fact that members act upon our thoughts and our recommendations is something that everyone here takes really seriously. So one of the reasons I wanted to have you on the podcast is because you're a great example of a person who's having success early in your career. And when I see someone doing something well, I like to see what I can learn from them. So as you look back on your educational and early professional years, what are some of the things that have been most influential in your life that you think others should be thinking about? 
I'd probably say just the value of, of taking chances and jumping on opportunities when they arise. Uh, one of my favorite sayings is, and it's a silly saying, but it's half of life is just showing up. Um, and that couldn't be more true for a lot of people. You'd be surprised by the number of people who just don't show up for a lot of things in life. So, you know, when I see an opportunity or when somebody who's looking to be a leader sees an opportunity, even if you're not sure that you're capable of achieving whatever that might be, I think you should always be willing to jump on it. So at least show up, at least take a chance and give it a try. You really never know what you're capable of until you give yourself that opportunity. And what are some examples in your own career so far where you have shown up, like you just said, and taken a chance? Well, I think probably the biggest example is, and I chose to study as part of the inaugural class of the first joint Sino-American University in China. So it was a foreign country I hadn't been to before. I didn't speak the language with a university that really didn't exist before I arrived. So that was a huge risk, but also a huge opportunity. And my experience, my career experience, my professional experience, and honestly, just my experience as a human has been defined in many aspects by that choice. It created a lot of opportunities that I wouldn't have otherwise had. So in that joint relationship, was it half Chinese, half American, or what was the dynamic there? Technically, 51% Chinese students, 49% Americans. Okay. I did graduate with an NYU degree, so I had the same education that I would have received if I had gone to NYU New York, just in a totally different experience. Got to meet a lot of interesting people, a lot of interesting professors. I would say a lot of my learning, in a traditional sense, I could have achieved at NYU New York, but the vast majority of my learning at NYU Shanghai just occurred outside of the classroom. So meeting people, talking to people, getting experiences I wouldn't have otherwise been able to achieve were probably the cornerstones of what it meant to be an NYU Shanghai inaugural class student. Yeah, and you mentioned that your educational career was foundational for you. So to that end, some people are thinking about taking a semester or a year abroad to study Why was it that you decided to spend your entire undergrad career in China? Really, it just came down to why not. Uh, I had, at that time, really intended on going into finance. I knew I wanted to study Chinese because of how important China was, both to just business and the global financial markets. So when I heard about the opportunity, I immediately jumped on it. I actually applied early decision. I remember my parents letting me do that because they assumed I wouldn't get in. Uh, And so they were really biting their lips when I did get that acceptance letter. Yeah, I bet. I think if anyone's looking, you know, you should definitely at least consider a semester abroad. I do think that it's important just to get outside of your comfort zone at the minimum. Like I mentioned, opportunities are only good when you act on them. So if you have the opportunity to study abroad, of course, there are financial constraints to consider. But if you have the opportunity, I do think you should take it. Yeah. So you also mentioned that while you were there studying, you began to realize that the finance world wasn't always ethical. So what was it that caused you to begin to realize that? Oh, yeah. So story time. Um, It was really my first year living in Shanghai. When I went to college, I thought that investment banking was my calling. Hindsight being 2020, I now realized what a sad ambition that was. Uh, but regardless, that's kind of what I had decided I wanted to do with my life. And I remember distinctly when I first realized that finance, in a lot of respects, wasn't always ethical. Um, it was actually one of the nights out that I had in Shanghai, went out with a friend, had the opportunity to meet some foreign businessmen that we ended up talking to. As essentially, uh, ended up just were very clearly committing fraud with the company that they were helping found mm. and run. And what really stuck with me was that I distinctly remember them laughing at ignorant retail investors who had participated in their most recent raise of equity. And that just really kind of stuck with me. And it's not to say that all companies or financiers are like that, but yeah, it just opened my eyes to things that can go behind on behind the curtains in finance. 
So did that actually change the direction that you wanted to go or did it just help you to be more savvy as you entered into your professional career? No, it actually, it definitely changed my direction. At the time, I really was looking at big banks, those sorts of internships. After that experience, I was like, I love finance. I love working with numbers, but I also love helping people. How can I work in finance while still feeling good about the work that I did? And ultimately that summer, I ended up interning with the Securities and Exchange Commission instead of a big bank, simply because I was seeking out opportunities that I felt like would make a positive difference in the world. So you also had a stint at General Electric. What happened there and what did you learn from that experience? Yes. So when I graduated, I did go, I worked with GE's Energy Financial Services Division. If anyone's familiar with GE, obviously by the time I had joined the company, GE was going through a bit of a rough patch. It was a really eye-opening experience. I enjoyed the work. I worked on their debt portfolio. But the company itself was really struggling. The stock was tanking. There were talks about divesting from the portfolio and laying off. And uh, what was really clear to me as an employee was just the lack of leadership the company suffered from. At no point was there any sort of inspirational management that you know, led you to have faith in, in the company's direction. So ultimately, I ended up choosing to leave the company for my current job here at The Fool. Uh, but it was still a great learning experience, my first kind of professional experience outside of college. But I, I like to think that in my generation, jobs are a little bit more fluid. You don't stay and work for companies for 30 years anymore like my parents did. Uh, and even when I felt like this was like a disastrous worst case scenario for my career, I came out of it completely fine and arguably better as a result. So I'm happy I took the chance to work there. I learned a lot. But despite what seemed to me at the time like the worst case scenario happening, everything was okay. And that really shaped the way that I view risk, especially career risk. So even in worst case scenarios, the the actual worst case scenario often justifies taking the risk in the first place if you consider all the risks and rewards associated with a lot of these opportunities. So what advice would you give to young professionals who aren't really where they want to be at the moment or aren't sure if they should take whatever risk is in front of them. Well, just don't be afraid to take opportunities. So a lot of young people, I see it with my friends, you know, they take a job and they feel very stuck in their current job and they find themselves unsure about what to do next. And you're not supposed to know. Nobody's positive. You know, when I grad when I left GE, for instance, I wasn't positive what my next step was going to be. When I left college, I wasn't positive what my next step was going to me be. But the thing is, I put myself out there for all sorts of different opportunities, and it gave me learning experiences across different industries. I got to meet interesting people. So if you feel stuck, if you feel like you're not doing what you want to do, just try to take that first step out, reach out to people, reach out to companies, even if it's just to learn a little bit more. You're never going to be 100% sure about any decision you make in your life. If you're like me, you're always going to have a little bit of self-doubt. But the important thing is just to put yourself out there. And I'm glad you brought that up. Because it's true. A lot of times we look to older leaders and we just assume that they have everything together. But the truth is, no one can be 100% sure and you have to take those risks. To that end, when you've taken on risks or challenges that others haven't wanted to take responsibility for, what was it that drove you to take on that extra challenge? Actually, one of the competitive advantages that I look for when I analyze companies that, that I end up pitching to David on a day-to-day basis, it's inept competition. So I look for a company that operates in a space in which it has competitors that 
honestly just for lack of a better word suck i'd say the same thing is true when it comes to risk and challenges that i take on you have to ask yourself what are other people missing that you can do better and and most of the times i'd say it's fear of failure that holds people back from even trying those opportunities so the best thing we can do is just let go of our pride and let go of our fear just give everything a try at least once um yeah again you can look to the worst case scenario and decide most of the time the worst case scenario isn't as bad as you think and you should just take that opportunity so yeah i would just say put yourself out there don't be afraid to fall and if somebody else is not taking the opportunity that's a sign to you that hey maybe you can take that opportunity yeah and as you think back on your own experiences do you think that failing helped you to become more immune to failure or do you just eventually kind of accept this mindset where you say i know i'm going to fail it's okay. Gosh, well, if failing helps me not fail in the future, I'm definitely doing it wrong because it seems to me that even when I fail, I will fail again and fail again, but eventually it works. So I definitely think it's the latter. I mean, the more opportunities you have to fail, it just means the more opportunities that you're giving yourself to succeed as well. So get, taking you know 10 opportunities, even if you fail at nine, you succeeded at one. And so I find myself, the more opportunities I'm taking, the more I'm exposing myself to that risk of failure, but also the more I'm exposing myself to the risk of success, even if it's a uh, less likely scenario. So are there things that you've purposely done that have helped you to become better at trusting yourself and your own intuition? Or have you just picked up that trait naturally over the years as you've continued to challenge yourself? <laughs> I'm not sure if, if like intuition and trusting yourself really comes naturally to anyone. If it does, I'm just definitely not that type of person. When I first really, I think, learned to embrace that fact, I was actually going back to my internship with the SEC. I remember a more senior supervisor taking me out for lunch. And what she said always kind of stuck with me. She said, if you don't feel like a fraud, you're not doing enough. So I think everyone's hmm. natural inclination is probably to doubt themselves. And to an extent, everyone's really faking it until they make it. And you don't learn to trust yourself by sitting at home and like reading books about things that you could be doing. You, you learn to trust yourself by putting yourself out there and actually doing them. So yeah, sure, you'll fall flat on your face sometimes. I definitely have. But other times you'll succeed. And that's really only when you start to build that natural inclination, the natural trust in yourself is when you know that I've succeeded and I failed and I only only get these opportunities by putting myself out there. Emily, you just shared about how when you were at the SEC, you had someone come alongside you and kind of guide you in your job. So can you share some other examples of how mentorship has been important in your career so far, either in previous jobs or maybe in your current position at The Motley Fool? Oh, it's, it's vital to have either be a mentor for somebody if you have that opportunity or to have somebody at your organization, a coworker, somebody you can talk to and seek professional advice from. I'm lucky to work at an organization in which there's a lot of opportunities to speak with people. Um, obviously, I'm a relatively young investor, but one of you know, my favorite coworkers who also has an amazing investing track record. He dropped out of school to come work here, for instance, is Aaron Bush. And he's definitely acted like a mentor for me. He was also a former uh, rule breaker investor himself before moving on to bigger and better things. But the point being that if you don't have somebody who you can rely on to talk to and trust with your career development, then it makes it really hard for you to, to think about your next step. So I would definitely reach out to people, if whether that be a coworker, whether that be you know a family member or a friend, and especially Especially if you've given the opportunity to help manage somebody to take a leadership role on, just remember to to talk to them. Take the time out of your day to set up, you know, even if it's just a bi-weekly meeting to touch base on their career development. 
that is vital to to really helping people succeed and helping yourself succeed with people. So, Emily, I know you have some good financial perspectives just based on your career so far. So what advice or recommendations do you have for young people when it comes to either investing or just other financial issues in general? Essentially, if you're a young person listening to this, I mean, every single young person should be saving money, paying off debt, and then investing. And it's usually in that order. You want to make sure that you have a good emergency fund saved up and a high-yield savings account, that you're actively and aggressively paying down debt. You're not taking on more debt and saving at least 15% of your pre-tax income for retirement. So these are things that are just base level for securing your financial future. And while the investing world and the finance world can make things sound really complicated and really hard, the first step is educating yourself. And it's really not a hard thing to learn. And if anybody tells you that it is, it's probably best to seek advice from somewhere else, because I genuinely believe that every young person is capable of at least achieving those three things. So, Emily, what is a one to two minute pitch for why young people should consider The Motley Fool? And what is a good way for them to test the waters to see if your services are right for them? Yeah, I think there's a lot of different people that The Motley Fool can help. But for young people in particular, I'd say first, utilize our free resources to educate yourself about money. Our website, which is www.fool.com, appropriately named, it has a lot of free resources, not just for investing, but personal finance as well. So if you were confused maybe by what a high-yield savings account is or, or how to save for retirement, The Fool has free personal financial content to help get you started. And it's not just The Fool. I mean, there's a lot of content out there. So the first step is really just taking the initiative to educate yourself. I'm a big believer in that DIY finance. And secondly, once you've you know saved that money for an emergency fund, paid off your debt, you're saving for retirement, if you find that you're more interested in investing in finance, then we have low-fee paid services to help you get started doing that as well. So these are active stock picking services like Stock Advisor and Rule Breakers that I work on. So I can't reiterate enough that they're really for investors who are excited and interested in companies and investing. So passive investing, which is just buying and holding index fund, that's perfectly legitimate and perfectly great for many, many people. But if you're interested in buying and holding great companies for the long term, we're, we're not day traders, so don't get that expectation, and you have extra money to invest, you can look into Stock Advisor or Breakers. Um, personally, I think The Fool's investing style is a breath of fresh air compared to many out there. We're diligent in tracking stock performance. We're long-term buy and hold investors. So I like to think that members get the most out of their fees, but I do believe there's a 30-day refund policy for both of those as well. So you can kind of test out the waters yourself. Like I said, there are some first steps, like the debt emergency fund and saving for retirement that should be completed first. But if you find yourself interested, definitely check out those resources. Well, Emily, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing with us today. Now, before you go, I have a few final questions that are meant to inspire us toward better leadership. So you ready for this? Yeah, sounds fun. (laughs) All righty. What is some lesson, saying, or experience that continues to influence your leadership to this day? Oh, gosh. There's a saying that my Chinese teacher really hammered in me. And if she was here listening to this, she'd crucify my pronunciation. Bu pai man, zhou pai ting. It essentially means that you shouldn't be afraid of going slowly, but instead afraid of stopping completely. Use three descriptors to finish this sentence. A leader is... Uh, curious, questioning, and empathetic. What is a question that leaders should be asking either themselves or others? I always like to ask, my, ask myself, what do I want to be different a year from now? And what can I do today and tomorrow and the next day, the next week to achieve it? So I think leaders should definitely be asking themselves that as well. What book would you recommend to leaders? One of the first books on investing I, I read was a 
a book called it's called The Little Book That Beats the Market by Joel Greenblatt. It's entertaining, it's educational, it's written so that everyone of every education level can understand it and it's definitely a valuable investing resource. If you could get every listener to start doing something this week to help them be a better leader, what would that thing be? I'd say take someone out to coffee. Um, coffee dates are a really common thing around here at The Fool. So if you go a week without taking someone new or old out to coffee, you're probably missing out on an opportunity to learn about them and to learn about people. So getting to know those around you, whether they be the people or strangers in your lives, um, or even a subordinate if you're already in a managerial role, they're going to help you become a letter, better leader in the future. And finally, an arbitrary but insightful question. As a general life principle, is it better to ask why or why not? Oh, definitely. Why not? Um, I think if you're asking why, you're looking back at something that's already happened and you're trying to figure out why it happened. You're being retrospective. But if you're asking why not, you're always looking towards the future and you're being proactive instead of reactive. I think we should all be trying to look forwards instead of looking backwards. Emily, thank you so much for joining the show today. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. I hope you found today's interview valuable. We'll be back on Friday to discuss the interview and share some of our key takeaways with you. If you want to share some of your own thoughts on what you heard today, or if you want to leave other feedback for the show, email us at community at lifeasleadership.com. And if you think today's interview could be helpful to someone else who cares about becoming a better leader, go ahead and share it with them. Until next time, keep living and leading well. Hey, thanks for checking out this trailer for the Business Bitcoinization Show. My name is Josh Friedemann, and I'll be with you each episode interviewing business owners about how they're using Bitcoin to enrich their lives and grow their businesses. You might be wondering about the name, and I'll get to that in just a second. But first, let me tell you a little bit more about the show and who it's for. Unless you've lived under a rock for the last decade, you've heard of Bitcoin by now. And if you're like me, you heard about it a while ago, but didn't do anything about it until the last couple of years. Then one day, for whatever reason, it finally clicks. And after that, you enter the Bitcoin rabbit hole, as they say. And the deeper you get, the more you see the value of Bitcoin. But you know, maybe you're not there yet. Maybe you don't know much about Bitcoin, but are interested in learning more. Either way, this show can help you. Each episode will introduce you to an executive or entrepreneur who's using Bitcoin, the hardest money on planet Earth, to improve their life and their business. So, what's with the name? Well, it's a play on the term hyper-Bitcoinization, which is used to describe the eventual rapid adoption of Bitcoin as other currencies get weaker and weaker in relation to it. When you compare a seemingly never-ending supply of dollars to a hard cap of 21 million Bitcoin that will ever exist, it feels like only a matter of time until hyper-Bitcoinization happens. The good news is we have the opportunity to be on the front lines of creating a new and frankly better system. Whether you're already sold on Bitcoin and it feels like I'm preaching to the choir, or you're curious to learn more, business Bitcoinization will help you understand how you and your business can be prepared to take advantage of the massive productivity and wealth that Bitcoin will enable. If business Bitcoinization sounds like a show for you, go ahead and subscribe. Obviously, you can subscribe in whatever podcast app you're using right now or go to www.bizbitshow.com slash listen. Once again, that's www.bizbitshow.com slash listen. I'm looking forward to sharing more soon. And until then, keep living and leading well. <laughs>